the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome, everybody, to the Perched on the Top Rope podcast. Lee is not with us tonight. I am the adorable one, your host of Perched Gaming. And today, I step in as the host of Perched on the Top Rope, even though I will not be doing much talking this week. And that is because our Perch correspondent, Justin Largito and Lee, were both at AEW Dynamite in Albany this past week. Justin, tell me a little bit about your experience this past week at AEW. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Uh, this was me and Lee's, well, Lee's first show, but my sixth show somehow this year for AEW. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Dynamite was great with two, uh, you know, tournament matches, Moxley and Sammy, and then Jericho and Danielson in the main event. Some good stuff on Dynamite, too, or not Dynamite, Rampage. Uh, you know, we had Darby and uh, Matt Hardy. And unfortunately, we had to see that clown. I'm not even going to bring his name up, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Dan Housen, baby! Uh, yeah, I wish I could censor that like I did in the vlog, but... Yeah, anyway. there ain't no censoring me. You know that. Oh, yeah. All you like to censor me, but I have a voice, too, and I will speak. But, anyway. Uh, Lee enjoyed Dark Elevation. At least, I thought he did. He sounded kind of silent for the first few matches, but I think he enjoyed it overall. Um... But yeah, a lot of build going into Grand Slam next week, and I'll I will be at Grand Slam in Queens next week, so I'm excited. We have I'll just run through the card quick. Obviously, we have the main event, uh, John Moxley and Brian Danielson to determine the new AEW World Champion. We have a fatal four way for the women's world title or the interim women's world title: Tony Storm, Britt Baker, Athena, and Serena Deeb. We have the acclaimed. Challenging Swerve in Our Glory once again for the AEW World Tag Team Champions. Orange Cassidy will take on Pac for the All-Atlantic Championship. And I'm going to throw a spoiler out there quick. So, well, actually, by the time all of you hear this, it'll be out in the open. But we will have on Dynamite this Wednesday, Chris Jericho, for the first time ever, challenging for the Ring of Honor World Championship against Claudio Castagnoli. Oh, hell yeah. That's that's so weird hearing Jericho's name and Ring of Honor or even Ring of Honor World Championship in the same sense. Who would have ever thought that you would see Chris Jericho wrestle in a match for a Ring of Honor Championship? Oh, I know. And, you know, I'm excited for that. That's probably one of the matches I'm more excited for on the show, because honestly, I could actually see them putting the Ring of Honor World title on Chris Jericho and letting him run with it with the sports entertainment gimmick. Oh my God, he'll but, act like he's the biggest world champion in pro wrestling. Right, right. I think it could work if they do it. I'm not saying they're going to do it. I don't even think it, they will do it, but I'm just saying I could see them going in that direction. I could, but I feel like at the same time, I think this is going to be more or less treated as Claudio Castagnoli's biggest win as, like in his entire career, because obviously he had big, big matches in WWE as Cesaro, um, but I feel like with that, the only real big victory that sticks out 
in my mind for Cesaro and WWE was when he beat Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that AEW is finally using him right. And I think Jericho is the perfect person to continue that upward trend for Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, speaking of Jericho, I know you've been to AEW a, a certain amount of times. Um, have you have you seen Chris Jericho wrestle in front of you at AEW before? No, you know what? It's crazy. This was the first uh, AEW Chris Jericho match I had seen live this past Wednesday. That's insane. I've I've seen Jericho wrestle in uh, WWE on Monday Night Raw before. I uh, I actually got heckled by him at one of the Raws that I went to in Albany. I think it was back in 2016. It was the episode of Raw where Team SmackDown Live invaded Raw right before Survivor Series when they had the team of uh, when they had the team of Dean Ambrose, Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton, AJ Styles. Um, all of those guys. And that was the coolest thing ever um, because Randy Orton and AJ Styles actually walked right past me, like in the, the stairwell going down to the ring, they entered right through and went right past us. And I freaked out, but back to Jericho, he was, uh, they were, they were wrestling a match before that. It was like, I think it was Rollins, Jericho and Strowman taking on, I don't know, somebody, some random three people. And I started yelling at Jericho and he turned around and looked at me and he goes, Hey, jackass. He goes, shut your mouth or you're going to make the list. And I was like the biggest fanboy moment ever, but I would have put you on the list. Oh, I would have put myself on the list. Are you kidding me? I would have been, I would have been so over everybody that's on the list is over. But my point being is how cool was it to, you know, Chris Jericho is a name bigger than life in wrestling. And obviously a man that, People our age, if we're going to see wrestling now, probably wouldn't have imagined when we were younger that we'd still see wrestling live to this day. How cool was it seeing Chris Jericho wrestle live? It was fun. You know what? The thing, the thing that I find very ironic with it is, you know, this past Wednesday was the first time I didn't have to travel more than two hours to AEW. And fucking when AEW is 20 minutes from my house, Chris Jericho's wrestling, which I find kind of funny, but. Yeah, um, instead of, you know, traveling hours to get there just to find out that he's not on the card. Right. And it was, it was like last time uh, when I went to fight for the Fallen in Worcester. Literally, he didn't wrestle, but he was all over that fucking show between Dynamite and Rampage. Right. I, I swear we heard Judas play like six times that night. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I'll never get tired of that song. But, you know, going off of talking about Chris Jericho, how was it? being in attendance live for a literal dream match between Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson. You got to tell me. Yeah, this, this was fun, man. I enjoyed their match at all out. And you know, every time I see Jericho and Danielson, Daniel Bryan, you know, whatever you want to call them. I think back to their match on the very first episode of NXT back in 2010 mm-hmm. when they were in the main event. So I'm, I'm sitting there kind of fanboy. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but, uh, it was a very good match, and even Moxley and Guevara was very fun, too, on the show. Uh, I knew Sammy wasn't going to the finals. And, you, you know, I the whole time I knew we were getting Blackpool Combat Club, Brian and uh, Moxley in the finals, but it was very fun. Uh, and you know what? Uh, spoiler alert right now, I actually am going to Dynamite like three weeks in a row in November, so... <laughs> get ready you're, for that it's you're ridiculous a, it's literally a, a loop of like boston connecticut new jersey and you're just going to all of them yep 
That must be nice. You know, it kind of sucks that they put Sammy in the tournament and not because I'm against him being in the tournament, but I feel like they've made such a joke out of his character with all this stuff that's gone on with Ty that nobody takes him seriously anymore. And before all of this stuff happened with them, he was gaining popularity. Like he was probably before they turned him heel, the most over he's been as a baby face in AEW. You know what, dude? Yeah, let me talk about that quick. Because honestly, I've been wanting to talk about this for quite a bit now. Yeah, sure. Shoot, man. It's like, you know, and I don't know if he's happy doing the stuff with Ty on TV, but I feel like ever since they put them together on TV, it has done no favors for the direction of his career. No. You know, around this time last year, he had the big moment beating Miro to win the TNT title, had a nice little run with that, lost it to Cody. Had some but- banger matches with Cody. Right, and he literally immediately won it back like a month later. Right, and then that ladder match, which was actually Cody's last match in the company, it ended up being. But you know, ever since him and Ty got put together, it's all been downhill. Like his momentum is just gone, and it looked like they were really building him to be in one of those top spots in AEW. I'm not saying he would have been world champion or anything. Maybe he would have, you know. But, but I could it's definitely not. It's not helping right now. No, it's not. I, I could absolutely see him main eventing had they kept the direction that he was going in, you know, just at the beginning of this year. But I, it's definitely once Ty came into the picture, everything went downhill. And that's nothing against her. That's nothing no, it's not even her fault. It's like more or less the fact that their dirty laundry got aired in public like it does in professional wrestling. Right. And I don't know if it was Tony Khan's decision to put them together on TV I don't know if Sammy pitched that. I don't know if Ty pitched that. But the fact that Sammy had proposed to his high school sweetheart like four months before that, and you have the casual viewer on TV just kind of going, you know, wasn't this guy proposed to another girl back at the end of the summer last year? And this is in March. It's just people look at that in a, in a completely different way. And I knew things were going to go bad. Uh, when I went to Boston for Dynamite, Sammy and Ty did a, promo on rampage with the men of the year literally everyone cheered ethan page scorpio sky dan lambert they cheered dan lambert and they booed sammy and ty like right out of the building and i knew right then and there like this is all gonna go downhill (laughs) very very fast oh yeah that's clear as day because the AEW audience at at the beginning of like the whole american top team thing they hated dan lambert so if you have them booing somebody more than dan lambert it's not looking good for you as a top baby face. Right. And, you know, earlier this year, it seemed like Sammy had kind of outgrown the inner circle and Chris Jericho and everything. And as fast as he was out of the inner circle, he was right into the Jericho Appreciation Society. I'd, ever since then, I just feel like it's been a complete step backwards. You know, and it made no sense because his whole point of leaving uh, the uh, the inner circle was more or less the fact that he was like pissed off at Jericho for like the shit that he had done to Santana and Ortiz and like not believing him when MJF was pulling the rug over him. And it just it made no sense for me personally as a fan for him to go right back to Jericho, who had clearly like done him wrong. Yeah, just that whole men of the year, Sammy Ty feud from earlier this year, just completely fucked up at any kind of momentum it had. Oh, yeah. It sucks to see. 
And nobody knew what was going on either because it looked like for a minute that the men of the year were going to turn babyface, which the crowd was into, but then they didn't. So we had like three people basically stuck in limbo, just feuding for the sake of feuding. Oh, dude, I know that there were like, I don't think they had a very clear direction throughout the whole feud because it seemed like, oh, Ethan's going to turn on Scorpio and then Scorpio is going to be babyface, Ethan going to be healed. And then no, Sammy's the, Sammy's the face, uh, Ty is the face. No, now they're heels again. No, and here's Frankie Kazarian out of nowhere. Like, it was just fucking all over the place, and that didn't help it anymore. No, not at all. And it was... It, so, my opinion as a fan, I think the clear-cut direction would have been to... you. Who They could have done anything with Sammy at that point. You could have turned him face, you could have turned him heel, and it wasn't going to matter because nobody was taking him seriously after the whole thing aired with Ty. But... I feel like personally, I think Scorpio Sky got the raw stand out of the deal because they could have used Sammy being like a little snake and getting in between them to easily catapult Ethan Page into being a very seriously taken heel. And you could have gone back to that Scorpio Sky character that was so over with the AEW crowd when he was in uh, SCU. Right. It's just, I really don't think anyone benefited from any of it. No, no, not at all. But, um, Aside from that, moving on, uh, a couple things I want to touch base on from the show with you. I want to get your thoughts on uh, how it was like being there in person, but, and also your your thoughts just as a fan in general. Uh, so one other thing we saw at AEW Dynamite was we saw the debut of the firm, Stokely Hathaway's group of W. Morrissey, Lee Moriarty, The Guns, and Ethan Page. Stokely made it really clear that the firm was there to support MJF, but they weren't exactly like a stable that included MJF basically said that they are supporters and they will help MJF uh, occasionally if MJF needs it, but also when he doesn't, they will go their own separate ways, basically saying that they are not like a full on stable. Like you see with the rest of AEW. I want to get your thoughts on that, how the reaction of the crowd was when they all showed up and what you really think is going to happen with this stable going forward. Yeah. So Definitely, by the sound of it, what Stokely said is pretty much until MJF wins the world title, you know, they're going to hang around him, but they're not going to be with each other all the time. They're just kind of in the background with MJF, I guess you could say. But I'm still kind of figuring out what I, how I feel about this group. Uh, I did like the promo on Wednesday it did kind of explain everybody's clear direction and what they're looking to do going forward in this group. Like Lee Moriarty, he wants to win the ROH Pure Championship. The Guns obviously want to win the tag titles. Ethan Page wants to win the All-Atlantic Championship to represent Canada. And W. Morrissey is going to do whatever the hell he wants, pretty much. Basically, he's just going to beat people up. Yeah, he's going to fuck everyone up. But I think my favorite part of that promo was when Stokely gave W. Morrissey a hug and said, I love oh. you, man. And then he looks up at him and he goes, did you hear me? I said, I love you, man. And then you could just see on TV, you could see him go. He just goes, I heard what you said. And he just like, it seems like he's already just like over everybody's bullshit. And that's oh, just going to be his character that he's there to beat people up. But like, he doesn't give a shit about anybody else that's in that stable except himself. Right. And you know what? I could definitely see sometime in the future W. Morrissey breaking away from the group and, you know, kind of being a star on his own, which I'm absolutely for. He did very well in Impact in the year and a half that he was there. 
For sure. It's still really surprising to me that he went the AEW route when there was a lot of rumbling that WWE had interest in bringing him back again. But I think this is good for W. Morrissey because I feel like, yes, he did a really good job in Impact, but Impact is only viewed by so many people on television, only viewed by so many people alive. I think if he does have future endeavors of going back to WWE, I think hanging around AEW a little bit and showing what he can do on a grander stage on television and in front of bigger audiences again without having some of the issues that he did in the past, I think that would do well for him if he ever does decide to go back to WWE. Right. And, you know, if he did go back to WWE, and I'm not saying he would flop if he went back, but, you know, there's going to be those fans who just have to chant, we want Enzo in the crowd. And there were a few in Albany for AEW, but definitely not as much as you would see at a WWE show, I think. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, as much as they both had their issues backstage, I would still love to see Enzo and Cass back together. I'm one of the few people, well, like, I was skeptic when the allegations eventually came out about Enzo, but then once he was basically able to prove that his name was cleared, I was just, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I just want to see them back together so bad. Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I would absolutely be up for a run with big Cass, Enzo and Doi And if they ever did it, they would have to win those fucking tag titles. Cause I still think it's absolutely ridiculous that they didn't get one run with any of those tag titles in that company while they were there especially in my opinion, the NXT tag titles, because for the longest time, in my opinion, they were carrying that show because you not to say that the top stars in NXT weren't doing their jobs then, because obviously they were, you had guys like Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn go through in those times too. But there were top guys that came and there were top guys that left. And throughout all that time, I personally felt like Cass and Enzo were carrying that show. Right. Yeah. You know, especially they could have easily put the titles on them at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, the first one that they did. But mm-hmm. instead, they went with the Vaudevillains. And how did that go? Yeah, the Vaudevillains held them for like two months and then lost in the revival. Yeah, but and the, the two of them aren't even friends. They don't even like like each other. Yeah. Can you imagine the pop that they would have got in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn SummerSlam weekend if they had put the tag titles on Enzo and Cass. Oh, dude, it would have been insane. They weren't even on that fucking takeover. They were on on the NXT episode that was taped before the takeover. Mm -hmm. That that was absolutely ridiculous. I think one of the biggest things that held them back is they were both still young at the time. You know, things happen, but they both seem, in my opinion, like they've gotten their shit together. Enzo has kind of stopped, for the most part, running his mouth. If you watch any of his most recent interviews, he's very respectful about the people he talks about. Talks about Cody in high regards, talks about Dusty, Roman Reigns, even Roman Reigns, who has beef with him. He has talked respectfully about him because I think he learned his lesson about running his mouth. And I personally would love to see them get a second chance. Who knows? Maybe before Cass's run in AEW is over, they do give Enzo a chance in AEW, and maybe they allow them to show what they can do together on that show before eventually going back to WWE. But I think it's a shame if we don't get another Enzo and Cass run in WWE before their career is over, because I told this to Lee multiple times. I've always thought they were the modern-day version of the New Age Outlaws. Right, definitely. And I'll stick to it. If the Hardys didn't return... At WrestleMania 33, Enzo and Cass would have won those titles that night. Oh, it wasn't even a guess. Everybody knew. It it was, you know, just shitty fucking timing on everyone's part. Right. And don't get me wrong. The Hardys winning that night was the right decision. It was just bad. It was just bad timing. 
because if right. they didn't show back up, they had to, because if they were showing up, they had to finish that quest for gold that they had already, they had started that storyline in another company. And at that point they were in their third company still going through that storyline. So it had to end that way. But if they hadn't, and Enzo and Cass had won, that probably would have gotten the biggest pop of that night. And that was a show filled with many pops. I mean, who knows? Maybe people would have forgotten about that god-awful Roman Reigns-Undertaker match. Uh, I don't know about all that, but... Yeah, yeah, we don't <laughs> talk about that. But back to AEW. A couple other things I want to uh, touch on. <laughs> the Darby Allen and Matt Hardy thing that's going on right now. Now, I know a lot of people have been saying that Jeff is supposed to return soon, that his uh, stint in rehab is over. I feel like he's not coming back, at least until his court t- case is taken care of. But there's a lot of people saying that Matt is talking about a new Jeff Hardy coming back. And I almost feel like he's not actually talking about Jeff and he's more or less talking about Darby Allen. What are your thoughts on that and what's going on with him and Darby right now? So the match on Rampage, it seemed like a one match deal. It was more to set up the House of Black and Sting and Darby next week. At, I believe it's going to be on Rampage. I don't think it's going to be on Dynamite because they already have five matches announced for that episode of Grand Slam. Right. But. You know, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I thought there was like this very, 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 and I small sliver of chance that Jeff Hardy was going to return on Rampage. And I, like, I knew in my head, I'm like, there's no fucking way Jeff Hardy's here returning on a taped show for Friday. Where everybody would know about it. Right. The, the, the thought process in my head, I'm like, okay. We know Sting and Darby are wrestling in Arthur Ashe Stadium next week. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Right. But who are they facing? They beat the House of Black. But, no, they're going to run it back. It's going to be Malachi, or, excuse me, not Malachi, Buddy Matthews and Brody King in a no-disqualification tag match. It's interesting that they're still going by the House of Black name with Malachi being gone, but we'll have to see if that ends up changing at all. Um Another I thing like, I did, uh, I did like Stokely's line in his promo about uh, living single with the House of Black. That was so <laughs> funny. Stokely is just a gem on the microphone. He's a treasure on Twitter too. If you follow him, he's just he's fantastic. Oh, he is. The <laughs> other another thing that I wanted to talk about: uh, we saw Powerhouse Hobbs defeat Matt DiMartino in a matter of seconds, but then he ran into a little bit of issue with Ricky Starks. Um, how do you think this feud's going to end? Do you think this ends with Ricky Starks moving up the ladder, eventually feeding, defeating Powerhouse Hobbs and getting a better spot? Or do you think this is all just to set up Powerhouse Hobbs being a main event player? I think it's going to help both of them, to be honest. I do see Ricky coming out on the winning end at the end of the feud. Honestly, I was kind of hoping they'd go away from it from a little bit because for some reason, I really want to fucking see Wardlow and Powerhouse Hobbs for the TNT title. Right. I, I just feel like that'd be great, but I don't mind them continuing this feud. Uh, it sucked that they only got four minutes at all out. I, I get that you had 15 matches on that show, but you know, you don't need 15 matches on that show. But I don't know if they're going to face each other next week at Grand Slam. Nothing's been announced yet. Maybe, but maybe on Rampage next week because they only have two matches announced. But, you know, I definitely see both of them being elevated coming out of this feud. Okay. Okay. Other than that, I didn't see too much that there really is to talk about from AEW. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about from the show? Uh, 
we can talk about the women's segment, the uh, Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker stuff. So if anyone saw it, or if you did see it, Jamie Hayter came down after the tag match with Britt Baker and Serena Deeb and Afina and Tony Storm. Teased that she was going to hit Britt with the chair that was brought into the ring, but ended up getting Tony Storm. But it was not made clear that Jamie Hayter is still with Britt. Because, you know, she was arguing with Britt. She said, actually, I didn't hear what she said. I haven't watched the uh, broadcast back. But it was obvious she wasn't on Britt's side coming out of this. Right. So we'll see where that goes. I'm starting to think with Athena and Chris Statlander out of the picture now, I could kind of see Jamie Hayter being the one to take the TBS title from Jade. Mm Mm-hmm. With a little more buildup, obviously I'm not expecting it next week or anything, but I think that's definitely an option. Okay, okay. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that happening. And let me just say, because they did have the uh, very good tag match with the Lucha Bros and Swerve in Our Glory, uh, fucking Penta doing a Canadian destroyer on Keith Lee is something I'll never forget watching in front of I me. don't even know how they managed to do that, but dude, it was so awesome. The only thing that I wasn't a fan of, and like I get that we need to put some heat on Swerve and our glory going into Arthur Ashe, but I don't like them putting the tag champions up against each other so early because Swerve and our glory needs to be getting some wins going into their match with the acclaimed and Arthur Ashe, but also. The Death Triangle just won the trio's tag title, so why are you having them lose so quick? So I kind of get what they were going for with all that because they have Pack as the uh, double champion with the All-Atlantic and the trio's champions now. So they were kind of going for the story of, oh, the Lucha Bros can also be double champions coming out of this show with the tag titles and the trio's titles. Right. So like, I'm not a fan of just beating your champions, but I can understand what they were going for and all that. I just feel like if they're going for that, that should have been saved for a pay-per-view. Yeah. But you know what? Next week, I am I really feel we're going to have new tag team champions with the acclaimed, and I hope we do. Me too, dude. So moving on, we're going to talk about the rest of wrestling throughout this past week. Monday Night Raw, there wasn't too many big things that came out of the show, but there was a couple that we're going to touch base on. Justin, how about that fucking Kevin Owens promo? Yeah, man, I've been enjoying Kevin Owens a lot ever since the new regime has kind of kicked in for WB. Definitely you can tell Triple H has his fingerprints on Kevin Owens and his booking. You know, I mean, it's practically like NXT. Kevin Owens just stepped out of a time machine. He has the same gear, the same Titantron as he did in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Kevin Owens on the mic. Love Kevin Owens as a wrestler. I hope he finally gets to that top spot again that he should have been at consistently the last few years but as he said on tv and it's kind of shocking looking back on it because if you remember kevin owens first few years on the main roster like he always had a title he was draped in gold like 90 like by the time we were like halfway through 2017 he was a champion like 90 percent of his time on the main roster yeah whether it was intercontinental champion united states champion or the Universal Championship. Honestly, out of all of those, my favorite run was him, his couple runs with the uh, United States title when he went to SmackDown because him and AJ Styles had some stellar matches that led to the triple threat match with the return of Chris Jericho and one of Jericho's last WWE appearances aside from his uh, greatest Royal Rumble 
show up, but it it really brought out the best in Kevin Owens and a bunch of the other guys in the back too. Yeah, the Face of America gimmick a few years ago. I, I looking back on it, I, I enjoyed more now than I did did back then. It's so underrated, but, right? And you know, it's funny you mentioned that triple threat match with Chris Jericho because that match that night was the last night to this date Kevin Owens has held a title in WB, and I feel like that is a fucking travesty. Like the last time he held a title, Chris Jericho was still in the company. Right. Chris Jericho's last match in the fucking company. Not last match, last match on, on SmackDown. He did compete in the Greatest Royal Rumble match. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yep. I that was that was technically his last WWE match. And then I think his last appearance was like a segment with Elias backstage. Yep. At uh what was it, Raw 25? Yep. But no, his last match on WWE television was the last time that Kevin Owens held a title. And that's just strange to think about. And, you know, I kind of questioned what they were doing with Kevin Owens when Triple H first took over because there was all these rumors going around that they were planning on rebuilding Kevin Owens and they kept the heel character that he was running with at the time, which I think now looking back on it was more or less to write Ezekiel off of television. But don't get me wrong. Kevin Owens is a great heel, but he needed this time to be a badass, serious babyface to be a better heel in the future because all anybody was thinking about was Kevin Owens recently under the Vince McMahon regime is being that, yes, he can kick ass, but he's telling jokes too often. And I, I like Kevin Owens' humor here and there, but they turned it into a character and that wasn't right for him, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I think Owens does the comedy stuff very well especially when you look at like the Ezekiel feud and everything. I thought he was just fucking golden that entire thing. But, um, you know, Kevin Owens, he, he can turn chicken shit into chicken salad just to, you know, use that phrase. Yeah. I mean, look at when we first saw Ezekiel walk out on raw, we, we thought the whole thing was going to be a fucking train wreck, but he actually made something entertaining out of that whole thing every week and, and we I, thought we shit on it all three of us shit on it and it right. ended up being the best consistent segments on monday night raw so don't get me wrong i'm not saying kevin owens isn't entertaining but i feel like that character in that time nobody would have said that he would have the chance of possibly being world champion again at that very moment ever since he turned babyface which is funny that he turned face basically the next week after destroying ezekiel who was also a face which also leads me to believe that Elias is going to come back as a heel at some point. Yeah, and you know, they they kind of had to tie up those loose ends with Owens and Ezekiel. Because before that, the feud just kind of ended. Like, Owens was, I don't know if he was out with an injury or he was out with an illness, but he was out for a few weeks and they just never brought it back up again until that match. And then they wrote Ezekiel off completely. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty funny that he's like first open challenge that he answered was Chad Gable's considering that Otis and Chad Gable were kind of like his lackeys in that feud. But like, yeah. nonetheless, you, we all had to know going into this new triple H regime that there was going to be, there was going to be a couple awkward few weeks because you gotta, you, there's some moving around you have to do of people. There's some character shifts that you have to go through to get people set in place where you want. It's kind of like a chess game. So it was a little weird seeing him go after Chad Gable of all people immediately. But I think after we got past that first week, whatever he's got going on right now with theory is, is awesome. And I've got to give all the props to theory because theory is a man 
who ever since he has made his main roster run, he's been consistently feuding with more than one person. And we all know how convoluted that can get sometimes in WWE. Sometimes the storylines take a turn for the worst because of it. But he's got like two solid feuds going on separately with Johnny Gargano and Kevin Owens right now. And he's thriving. So, you know, say what you will about what Vince McMahon was when he was running WWE, but he knew what he had in a star in theory. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like they are kind of distancing themselves from the kind of comedy character theory that more of what we saw in NXT and the segments we saw with Vince earlier this year, late last year. Mm-hmm. And he is becoming more serious as time goes on, I've noticed. And, and I, I think, think the Kevin Owens promo from Raw is definitely the starting point for that. You took the words right out of my mouth because not only did that promo get Kevin Owens over insanely with the crowds and the people at home and everybody else watching, but it also gave them room to work on Theory's character as a more serious person going through with his career as well, which they had to do if he has any shot of successfully cashing in the money in the bank briefcase. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I will say I did like the blood in that segment, whether it was intentional or accidental. I think it definitely added to it. I like the shot of Fury just looking pissed off with blood coming down his face. You've got to think he's going to be getting revenge. And I think the best part was when Kevin Owens basically called him a bitch and say, said, how'd you like that for breaking me, breaking your nose, bitch, or something like that. Yep. But I mean, I love that they're, they're letting some of these guys use a little bit of colorful language on TV while not oversaturating it like AEW does sometimes. Looking at you, Ace Steel. But that was that was huge for me, and that was probably my favorite segment of the show. But another segment that I know we both want to talk about was the end of the main event of Monday Night Raw. We had Edge taking on Dominic Mysterio. I thought this was going to be kind of a little campy almost because while this storyline's been going on, it, it hasn't been... I love Edge. He's my favorite wrestler, but this has been more, I feel like, about family drama than anything. And it kind of looks like it's starting to come to an end. And when Edge does eventually come back, uh, he's this is going to be taking a more serious turn. But we saw Rey Mysterio try and get in the way of Edge when Edge had Dom in the ropes. And basically that ended up giving them just enough time to take out Edge. All four members of the Judgment Day absolutely destroyed him. Edge is said to be out on the shelf for a couple weeks with, what was it, an MCL strain? Yeah, I think that the reported injury by WB was an, a partial MCL tear. Okay, or something yeah. like that. Or partial MCL strain is what it was. That's right. Right. And the dirt sheets are currently reporting that this isn't going to be set to be a long time injury. It's basically enough time to not use up all the badges dates on Monday Night Raw shows and to basically get us through a um, couple weeks until we get to Extreme Rules, where he is supposedly going to be on the card. And it also it, it works because we can build up the match while also not having Edge use all of his dates. You have to know this Dominic-Edge feud is not over yet, but I feel like in this time they should focus on the dynamic between Dominic and his father because, in my opinion, all signs point to the fact that they're going to draw this out and we're eventually going to get a WrestleMania match from the two of them. I think Ray's eventually going to get over his shit and he's going to be like, all right, I'm going to put you in line then. Yeah, and you know what? Look, if this really is like the last year we have of Edge as an in-ring performer, we got to move him away from this shit, man. We- yeah, I, I say give him the match at Extreme Rules. Have him win, have him lose, do whatever, move him on. But that 
storyline is it's not really about edge anymore it's about the judgment day and ray mysterio which i believe that they could have a better feud because ray has the upside of not having been involved in the weird turn that happened with edge and judgment day earlier this year where he was in charge and then he wasn't the the ray feud with judgment day feels more authentic it feels like something i can sink my teeth more into which has been hard for us to say with judgment day because they haven't been taken too seriously but this beatdown that they gave Edge at the end of Raw, it felt like almost a turning point for Judgment Day. If they keep going on this, them just destroying people, Rampage, I, I feel like they have a chance at turning this whole Judgment Day thing around. But they've got to stop having the Judgment Day lose every match, and they've got to take them more seriously. Because like I said before on one of the other shows, for a while it seemed like they were this they were this big group of just bullies almost like, you know, you watch those old eighties movies or nineties movies where there's like these greaser bullies that make fun of like the nerdy kids in high school. And that's what it felt like they were. And those bullies always got their ass kicked at the end of every movie. And that felt like what judgment day was at the end of every segment on Monday night raw every single week. So move edge away from this, find him something to do going into WrestleMania Royal rumble season, all that good shit. And focus on the dynamic with Dom and Ray because that's got the potential to actually believe it or not in my opinion be a good storyline and I don't say that often about Dominic and it's not because he's not good in the ring it's because his promo skills are not to be desired but you also have you have Finn Balor Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley all by your side now and all three of them are a good promo now let me ask you, what do you think of Dominic so far? Because we're two weeks into this Dominic heel turn. Like, what, what do you think the booking has been so far? I think it's slow but steady because the first week, it almost, you almost didn't know for sure that he was going to be affiliated with Judgment Day for good. It almost seemed like it was like a slight alliance, in my opinion. I think this past week kind of solidified that more. They're definitely, Triple H is definitely feeding off of the internet jokes that have been made about Rhea Ripley and Dom because they've been having her kind of guide him in what way to go as opposed to having Finn Balor or Damian Priest do it but it's it's kind of working at the same time and I'm going to catch a lot of shit about this but this almost gives me slowly and I, I know everybody's seen it in the memes but now watching it on television it's almost slowly giving me Eddie Guerrero and China vibes because she would be his heavy which I feel like Rhea Ripley's going to do for Dom on multiple occasions. And she would also kind of put Eddie in line, which is also what it looks like Rhea Ripley's doing so far. So the dynamic between the two of them, there's like actual chemistry that is working, in my opinion. And it works in Dom's defense, because like I said, he's not the greatest promo at this point in his career. He's young. Everybody gets better on the mic throughout their career. But he needs somebody to speak for him right now. And I think Rhea Ripley's a good person to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm still kind of indifferent. I'm not gonna lie. I, I think it's might be better for him in the long run, but he's still very whiny, and <laughs> it's very hard for me to put up with it sometimes. Yeah, I agree, but I feel like the silent Dom has been better than Dom with a microphone. And I think in this case, I think we're gonna have to wait it out a little bit to see how it goes because I don't think after two weeks, I don't think that's enough time to judge the entire story. Give me a couple right. months, maybe. Maybe my our opinion changes around WrestleMania once we've gotten a conclusion to the storyline of what's going on. Because I, I feel like that's got to be where that's ending. Because Ray said he wants to retire against his son at WrestleMania at some point, 
which would be sad if this is the last Rey Mysterio match that we're leading up to. But So with Edge kind of out of the picture, who do you think kind of joins up with Rey to go after Judgment Day for a bit? I feel like he might end up fighting them on his own for a little bit. He's going to get his ass beat. Yeah, I, I think he might, but I don't know. There's there's teams in NXT that could come up to the main roster to help. My problem is, is there's not there's not a I feel like if anybody's gonna join Ray, it's gotta be people from the tag team division. And I don't know how many people there are right now because the Usos you know have gone through everyone. You know who would be perfect, but I feel like it wouldn't work because then you would just have uneven sides with an extra person. Legato yeah. Del Fantasma. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, that could work. You would have to figure out, like, if you want to add one more member to the Judgment Day or not, because you would have four males and a female, and against three males and a uh, female. I mean, they either do that or, you know, Ray eventually moves on. We don't get the WrestleMania match, and then we get Judgment Day versus Legato Del Fantasma, which I could be down for some of those matches because the matches themselves would be great. And they're they're supposed to be showing up at some point too. I like your idea better of having them join up with Ray and then having one more person joining the Judgment Day. But that being said, who do you think would be a good fit to join the Judgment Day? You know, I think Champa, and he was the original rumor beforehand. But I feel like that's kind of out the window now with everything they have him doing. Um, uh, also trying to think of who could come up from NXT. I don't know, man. Uh, I feel like you have all the people who can make it work in there. It's just a matter of getting it to work. Right. As far as tag teams, the only people I could think of coming up from NXT would almost be the Creed brothers, but they've got their own thing going on with uh, Damian Kemp right now and like whatever the hell is going on with Diamond Mine, which that I have, I have words about that, but I'll talk about that in a couple minutes when we get to NXT, but I don't know. I, I really like the idea of Ciampa because I don't think I want them to take him out of the Miz storyline because there's no reason for him to be in it right now. The Miz and Dexter Loomis have their own thing going on, and I think you could completely take Ciampa out of the equation. I know everybody wants DIY to reunite, but obviously right now is not that time because they need to they need to focus on getting Johnny Gargano over as a singles wrestler on Raw first, and the same with Ciampa, which Ciampa would have that option in judgment day because judgment day doesn't necessarily need to always act as a unit. You know what I mean? There's guys on in that group that could get over on their own at certain points. So I think Champo going there would be a good idea. And then eventually down the road, he breaks up with them and we get that reuniting of DIY, which I'm just, I'm waiting for every single day. Yeah, definitely. But I think definitely focus on Gargano more as a singles guy before anything. Yeah. They could even have Kevin Owens and Johnny Gargano together because, you know, there's a slight alliance between the two of them. We could eventually have them join up with Rey Mysterio. You know the the respect that Kevin Owens has for Rey Mysterio. So it's it's possible that they could eventually join him too. Yeah, it's definitely possible. But... Moving on from Monday Night Raw, we had NXT this past week. Justin, I know you want to talk about Pretty Deadly. Just go ahead and do it. Yes, boy! I hate you. The NXT Tag Team Champions. Yes, boy! 
I know I know you love them and I, I I think you you talk about them. I feel like I'm getting karma and payback for all the times I've rubbed Dan Danhausen in your face right now. That's rude. For anybody now able to see because this is obviously on audio, Justin just flipped me off. He's still going. He he shows no respect. But obviously the biggest thing that came out of NXT this past week was the return of the black and gold. Yeah, so this still hasn't been clarified, really. Like, the branding is all over the place right now. Like, even on SmackDown, when they showed the North American Championship match graphic, they showed that black and gold NXT logo, or the white and gold NXT logo, I should say. But they also taped NXT after. For, they taped NXT for next week after this past week. And it still had the rainbow colors, so I don't know what's going on. If <laughs> it, it looks like they, from the pictures I saw of the NXT taping, it looks like they had some of the rainbow colors, but some of it was black and gold. I just want to know what they're going with there. I'm, I'm almost wonder if with the the graphic change, I would be okay if they're kind of going through like a glitchy phase over the next couple of weeks. You see some of it phase out, and you see so it's almost like and the old NXT is taking over again if they were to go that route and consider it like a takeover um of the old brand i can do that but i think other than that we really gotta kind of just see how it plays out but getting rid of the 2.0 name i think is great because i don't think it ever really mattered i think we did get some great stars out of the nxt 2.0 era but the color scheme has got to go man because it's harder to take nxt seriously with it Look, and I was very vocal a year ago. Like, I literally stopped watching NXT because of the change. I didn't agree with it. It doesn't work when you have people who you've signed and have less than a year of wrestling experience on television, national television on USA, every fucking week. And then you release your pretty much your veterans and your coaches, and you're left with everyone who has no experience. It doesn't work. But I will say... They have done a much better job even over the last few months. You have Braun Breaker, Carmelo Hayes, who you know are going to be stars in that company, mm-hmm. Roxanne Perez, the Creed Brothers, Pretty Deadly, you know, all of them. It's there, There's definitely a lot of good talent there now, and especially with NXT UK and NXT US merging, it's definitely helped it out a lot, getting guys like Tyler Bate and J.D. McDonough and Nathan Fraser all those guys, and it just really helps the overall enjoyment of the show week to week. Yeah, I agree, and I told Lee this before. I think the biggest problem with NXT is is not that some of well NXT two It's not that some of these guys, some of these guys were unexperienced, obviously. But the problem is, it's even the guys that weren't unexperienced. We didn't know them going into this NXT two regime. We didn't get really any. We didn't. We weren't experienced to like having seen what they can do. Even guys like Braun Breaker, you know, he showed up like right beforehand, so we didn't get too much time with him. A lot of these guys who have done a good job throughout the NXT 2.0 regime, they just threw them out there to the wolves, and we had to wait months and months and months for them to be built up. And I think the NXT 2.0 era could have done so much better if guys like Tony D'Angelo. Um, guys like Grayson Waller, if a lot of these guys had had a little more time in the original 
NXT era to build themselves up before being the ones to have to carry NXT 2.0. They were just kind of thrown to the wolves. They did a good job, but the problem was it was, it was a new show. It was a new regime and creative, and it was a new theme and new wrestlers all at once. And it was overload. That's another thing. I, I really, when the presentation, the presentation changed too, as well. That's the thing. When I watched NXT Black and Gold, it literally felt like it was a completely different show from Raw and SmackDown. Like, you wouldn't even know it's the same company if you didn't see the WWE logo on there. But literally when the NXT 2.0 became a thing and everything changed, the presentation changed as well, and it literally felt like I was just watching Raw and SmackDown. Which like, I I'll, about it. Yeah, I'll give them um I'll give them credit where it's due. It started to feel more like old NXT even before Triple H took over because these guys were out there to prove that hey, we can put on banger matches even though this show is shit. And I think even before the UK invade, before the Vince McMahon scandal, they were slowly starting to get to that point. The Tony D'Angelo Legato del Fantasma feud was incredible. Braun Breaker has done an amazing job as NXT champion. Mandy Rose has revitalized her career. Oh, absolutely. Even the small stint with Dolph Ziggler as NXT champion, I think, helped boost that show. Yeah, let me just give another shout out because you uh, mentioned Mandy Rose. Gigi Dolan's one of the best parts of NXT every week. Just just letting everyone, I just want to put that on the record right now. I love that woman and I don't care who knows. It makes my my Tuesday night every single week. Every single week. But hopefully... This is a slow transition back into an actual black and gold era. I really, they need to get rid of that paint splatter if they want it to be perceived as a, as a top-notch popular show again. And hopefully we're getting that. The other thing I do want to bring up, because this ties into SmackDown, which we're about to talk to next, Solo Sokoa returning to NXT, winning the North American Championship against Carmelo Hayes. What were your thoughts? And I also know you want to tie that into SmackDown. So go ahead, Justin. Floor is yours. Yeah, so I definitely didn't see this coming at all. But I'm kind of glad they did it. For the reason, if you remember right after Stand and Deliver this year, it looked like they were setting up Solo Sokoa to take the North American title from either Cameron Grimes or Carmelo Hayes because... He was also kind of intertwined with that as well. Right. And, you know, every week he would tell Cameron Grimes, you know, I got next, I got next. And then Carmelo won the title and he said, well, fuck you. I'm not Cameron Grimes. You don't got next. But then he kind of distanced himself away from Carmelo in the North American title and started feuding with Von Wagner. And, you know, he was just completely out of the picture for some reason after that until he showed up at Clash at the Castle. So it made sense when he showed up on NXT to get that title shot that he never got, you know? Right. I and was it, all, I was all in favor of it. Yeah, so was I. And it also, it helps Ron smacked out at the same time because it does, I know the whole point of it was to have the bloodline draped in gold. But this also, this helps do that without bogging down the U.S. and intercontinental title pictures. Because I know ever since the bloodline started unifying titles there's been memes there's been reports everywhere that solo sokoa was going to be the one to eventually hold both the intercontinental and u.s titles and i just thought that was overkill i I, i'm not against roman reigns having both titles right now as long as they eventually split up i thought that unifying the tag titles with the usos was a little much 
because I just thought it was overkill with unifying everything. And I think Solo Sokoa doing that would have just, everybody would have turned on the bloodline. Granted, they're heels, and that's kind of what they want, but also the bloodline's doing insane merch sales right now. I will say this, too. On SmackDown, they had Paul Heyman, the Usos, Solo, and Sami Zayn walk out, and he got Solo with the North American title. The Usos were both set to tag titles. They looked so fucking badass, and Roman Reigns wasn't even there. Yeah, it's it's insane. The Bloodline's doing unreal things right now. Give Sami Zayn a title. I don't even care if it's the 24-7 title. Yeah, fuck it. That thing's like non-existent anyway. Look. Right, give it to him and let him act like it's the most popular championship and the greatest championship in the company because his character could do that with that title. Oh, yeah. And then if you want to, you know, ditch the 24-7 title, just say, let Roman Reigns know. Or Roman Reigns knows. Let let Roman Reigns let Sami Zayn know that that title's a piece of fucking garbage and then he just tosses it in the trash when we got SmackDown. And then Sami looks at me and he's just like, okay. Okay, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I'm wrong because he, you know, he's a man crush on Roman Reigns. But speaking of Solo Sokoa and the 24-7, not the 24-7 championship, but the North American championship, Justin, what happened on SmackDown tonight? So this was another thing coming out of NXT I was very curious about was, you know, is Solo going to be on NXT every week? Is he going to defend the title on SmackDown? This answers our question. He defended the title on SmackDown. He successfully defended against Madcap Moss. So obviously this is going to be defended on the main roster here and there, which also means we could see NXT stars come on to SmackDown week to week or here and there and challenge for the North American title. I see this as a good opportunity to get Carmelo Hayes some exposure on the main roster. Absolutely. Because you know that's not over with them yet. Carmelo Hayes tweeted out tonight. He's like watching Friday Night Smackdown like, and it's just him sitting at a contract sighting uh, with the North American title over his shoulder and just looking confused. Yep. So I think that's a good way of kind of getting them some exposure on Smackdown too. But it's it's just, it's a very interesting time of this character. And what do you think about Solo Sokoa? Not exactly like, joining the same mindset of his brother Jay and bagging on Sami Zayn all the time. He's kind of taken to Sami just like Roman has, and they've kind of become like kind of friends. And I didn't expect that with such a badass character of Solo. Yeah, you know, I think it's all kind of a ruse in the end. I think, you know, Jay has no problem telling Sami, like, I fucking hate you. I can't stand you, but. You know, I think Jimmy's kind of just playing around with it. Solo's also playing around with it. Roman's obviously playing around with it. And this is all just going to lead one big massive beat down one week. Oh, absolutely. And then then we get Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Usos. It's got to happen. Exactly what I was thinking, yes. Sami Zayn shows up with his haircut back like he normally used to have. He gets his old character back. And him and Kevin Owens clear house. Yes, bring back the old. Sami Zayn Worlds Apart music because that was <laughs> that'll almost that'll almost give me the same vibes as uh you remember the most recent war games when Johnny Gargano they saved yep. giving him his old theme music back until that show and the crowd exploded. Yeah. You know I if think, they go ahead. I think even even in the build-up, like have Sammy come out the way he is right now. Yep. When it finally gets to that tag title match, hair is cut old gear old mm-hmm. music like Sami Zayn just stepped out of a fucking time machine exactly you have you have like the Usos come out first 
And then you have Kevin Owens come out and then he stands there and you hear Worlds Apart playing. You know, whatever crowd that is, is going to explode. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that'll give us a cool moment too, because we've never really had the Sammy Zayn and Kevin Owens tag team. Like, yes, they were affiliated during Sammy's heel turn on SmackDown live with the whole Shane McMahon feud that they had years ago. But like, that never really felt like a tag team run. It was more or less just a storyline between four people that just happened to be teaming with each other with him, KO, Shane McMahon, and Daniel Bryan at the time. So giving them an actual tag team run and a run with the title belts, it's got to happen. And plus, that would make Kevin Owens a Grand Slam champion. Yes. And I think that's also a part of the story because Kevin Owens has said on TV recently, like his goal at the with all this that he's doing right now is he wants to be a champion in WWE again. And that's how you set it up. Yeah. You, and that's an easy way to get him over and also build him up back eventually to a world title run. You have him start with the tag titles. Right. The fact that they're already friends, you know, Owens wants to hold the title in the company again. Sammy's going to want revenge on the Usos after they turn on him. It's just, it's perfect. I totally agree, my friend. And the last thing I want to touch based on, because SmackDown's not over yet, but we have seen some of it. What the hell do you think about this Logan Paul Roman Reigns storyline? Why do they insist on having Logan Paul as a face? He's one of the most unlikable people in the world in real life. I, I just don't, I don't understand what they're thinking is behind it. You know, like you want him to be a face, but then you just book him in every possible way. People cannot like him. It's funny that they're doing it against Roman Reigns, considering that Roman Reigns fell victim to the same type yeah. of booking in his career. He was in the same spot like seven years ago. Dude, it's just, it's weird to me. And like, yes, Logan being a face during the feud with The Miz, that worked because they had a storyline in place for that. But if you were going to continue with him as a baby face, I, I said this to you before, you should have had him work from the bottom up and have him earn the respect of everybody in real life, have him earn respect from the fans watching because it would, it would have made him more likable. If you had him start, have him start by, you know, starting to squash some people here and there, have him, you know, face some guys lower down on the card first and then build him up to like a mid card title feud. I wouldn't have minded seeing him with like the IC title or the U S title. I think that'd be a good way to build him up. But if you put him right in a, a feud for the world championship, when he has two matches under his belt, you're going to have people turn on him and you're going to have the same people that were finally starting to give him a chance, go back to hating his fucking guts. And look, here's another thing. So they're, they're doing this match at crown jewel in Saudi Arabia in November. May, I, I could just be, you know, fucking out of my mind. Is Logan Paul really like that big of a draw in Saudi Arabia opposed to, even though I hate them being on the show, like a Goldberg, you know, I mean, I guess only time will really tell until we know what the numbers are from that show. But, I mean, my guess is no, because a lot of those, and this isn't even anything against Logan Paul, it's very well known that the Saudis and the Prince are a big fan of, like, Attitude Era stars, because that's a lot of the stars that were mainstream, that made it mainstream, because we don't see as many make it mainstream anymore. But, you know, guys like Brock Lesnar were mainstream stars in the Attitude Era, even the ruthless aggression era guys like Brock Lesnar were mainstream stars and you know, Brock's obviously known for his UFC run too. So Brock is a worldwide household name. Goldberg for wrestling sake was a household name. You had a lot of these guys 
that were household names in the main event. And who knows if the Saudi people are going to know Logan Paul like that, I guess. And you know, with Braun being back, I, you know what they should have did? They should have had Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman. You got the Universal and WB titles and Braun Strowman's greatest Royal Rumble championship. And you unify those fucking titles too. That's my question too. So with Braun being back, if he shows up back at the show in Saudi, are they going to play up on him having won that title? Are they going to have him show up for continuity's sake with the title that those people remember him winning? Or do you think too much time has gone by to where even they would forget it? I'm sure. Like even Look, even when Braun had that match with Tyson Fury in Saudi, he didn't come out with the title. So it's like, who knows if anyone even knows where that fucking title is, to be honest with you. Right. What, what was the point, like, in making an actual title for that victory if they were going to never show it? I think at that point, they should have just given him a trophy. Right. That that title's probably in, like, a storage locker Braun bought in, like, 2018 or something. Oh, yeah. It's probably in that same storage box that was on the Edge and Christian podcast before where they pulled out, like, the, you remember they pulled out the ECW title? And they were yeah. like, they pulled out the original and they were like, oh, that's the ECW, the, the ECW title that Rhino killed. And then they pulled out the black and gold one and Edge goes, Christian, that's the ECW title that you killed. <laughs> I, I missed the Edge and Christian show. That was, that was a fun time on WWE Network. <laughs> I'm so sad that they had canceled it. And I'm even sadder that Christian has left and is yeah. in AEW. And not to say that he's not doing good things, but man... Another Edge and Christian run, another run with their comedy would have just been so great. It would have given us more in the tag division too, but. And let me tell you, no one was fucking paying attention to that show. And you can tell what they were putting out every week. We were, we were. Yeah, no, the the fact that some of the skits, they were like, will WWE talk about it? And they straight up bring up Bullet Club. Yep. They brought like up no, Bullet Club, no but they WB was watching that fucking show. I nobody. guarantee it. <laughs> they brought up Bullet Club, but wouldn't say the name of TNA. Right, and now it's like TNA is mentioned like every month, at least yep. once on like TV. <laughs> I know they literally had their Impact Knockouts Champion show up in the Royal Rumble and acknowledged it on the nameplate. But right. the, the the best part of that was when they showed will WWE talk about it with AJ Styles and they showed they said TNA, but it just showed uh Tess Delbert and Trish Stratus. I forgot about that. That was fucking hilarious. Oh god, they are so good. But ladies and gentlemen, that's all we really have to talk about for this week. Hopefully there'll be some more news in the next week for us to bring to you next week. In the meantime, you can catch us on Spotify, you can catch us on Stitcher, you can catch us on Red Circle, Apple Music, anywhere the podcast can be found. And if you cannot find us on a podcast platform, reach out to us and we will make sure that we are on there for you to listen to us. You can also find us on Facebook at Perched on the Top Rope. You can find us on Twitter at Perched Top Rope. You can find us on Instagram at Perched on the Top Rope Podcast. You can find us on TikTok at Perched on the Top Rope, where you can find fun Selena scenes like Matt Cardona, also known as Zack Ryder, winning the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 32. Because as Lee says, if that's not a Selena scene, I don't know what is. You can't tell me it's not. And Lee, this one's for you, buddy. You can also find a video of the former WCW manager and superstar Kevin Sullivan getting humped by a dog. That's right, humped by a dog. And ladies and gentlemen, remember, spoiler free, is the way to be. We're out. out.